Why don't we talk about your 82-year-old man with CLL? So the next patient is 82 years old. He initially presented to me with leukocytosis that was discovered on routine labs. Upon initial presentation, he was completely asymptomatic. He had no B symptoms. In 2005, when I first saw him, he had a white count of approximately 30,000, a normal hemoglobin and platelet count. Peripheral blood flow cytometry was consistent with CLL in 76% of cells. The patient's disease had intermediate expression of ZAP70 and was mutated by IGVH mutation analysis. Peripheral blood cytogenetics demonstrated that two of 21 cells contained an additional X chromosome. Peripheral blood fish demonstrated that 17 of 200 cells had a deletion of chromosome 13. Imaging at that time demonstrated just a mildly enlarged spleen with no significant adenopathy. The patient was followed clinically and with serial labs. Over the years, his white count has steadily increased. However, he's never experienced a six-month doubling time. Approximately two years ago, the patient's platelet count fell below 100,000. However, he remained asymptomatic. His last imaging was in December of 2009, which demonstrated a mild increase in the size of his spleen to 14 centimeters. And again, there was no other significant lymphadenopathy. His most recent laboratory data from earlier this month demonstrated a white count of 83,000 with a hemoglobin of 13.4 and a platelet count of 73,000. So my question for Dr. Smith is what laboratory value, if any, should an older asymptomatic patient with CLL receive treatment. And could I just ask, does he have any comorbid conditions and what kind of shape is he in? He's in relatively good shape. He has a porcine valve in his heart, otherwise is not on any extensive number of medications. He has some bad knees which limit his mobility. However, he can walk unassisted. And I believe that he could physically tolerate treatment if he needed it. So, Mitch, before you get into the question that Lyle asked, just sort of taking a step back in terms of, you know, how did this man come across to you sort of generally? This guy was quite a character. (laughs) He could have talked for hours about stories, World War II and all this stuff. But clearly he's interested in quality of life. And he says, I'm an old guy and, you know, I just want to live my life. But he'd also do whatever Lyle would tell him. I mean, you know, I think that's clear. <laughs> but he, yeah, I mean, mentally sharp and really with it, hobbles you know, down the hall, but gets around, but mentally as sharp as a tech. One of his concerns was that he saw his wife receive chemotherapy and ultimately die of ovarian cancer. And he feels that he doesn't want to go through that again. He currently has a girlfriend who accompanies him to every one of his visits. He's enjoying his life. He actually told us that he's leaving in a week to go away on a trip, and he feels fine, and he's not certain that he needs treatment, which is sort of hard to argue. So what about this issue of the asymptomatic patient, Mitch? What do you consider, and particularly 82 years old, the indication to treat, and with what? So, again, the simple answer is there are no answers. 
you will hear people say, oh, if platelets under 100,000, you got to treat, or white count greater than X, you have to treat. And the answer is no, it's really pace of disease. And this guy is not totally stable. His platelets have been dropping slowly and steadily. And the longer we wait, the lower they'll go. And, you know, it's just hard to pull the trigger on treatment in a guy who's looking like that. And you say, well, he may have side effects of chemotherapy, and we're not going to make him feel better. We will make his numbers look better. And that ultimately may make him better, you know, prevent bleeding and things like that. With the platelets dropping, you do have to leave yourself a little bit of a cushion because you're going to knock them down before they get better. And so it is a bit of a quandary. And I would say at this point, the pace of disease is slow enough that there's no urgency, but he's getting there. And, you know, I think, I don't want to write something in stone, but at this pace, I certainly think at 50, if you know you're going to need to be treated, you better start there because you do need a little cushion. Is it 73? Is it 60? I mean, again, hard to know. So I don't have any hard number. If this guy were younger and you knew he was going to need treatment in the next 6 to 12 months, you would have done it already. But this guy, you're really trying not to hurt. And he's doing fine the way he is. So I think, you know, we sort of discussed it and, you know, kind of, eh, it could go either way, but probably lean on the side of continue to monitor at this point. And if you were going to be treated, Mitch, what would you be thinking about? So the two things that I would think about in this age group are old-time oral chlorambucil, which still works and is gentle and has a reasonable partial response rate. You can adjust the dose pretty easily. And I think that's a good place to start, especially with his concerns about chemotherapy. Once you go to the IV, you're sort of resurrecting all his concerns about his wife. I have done bendamustine in this age group. You reduce the dose. You don't push. You don't try to get it in, you know, maybe every four weeks, even longer. Wait till the counts recover. Don't have to get six cycles in. If they get a dramatic response, I might stop after three or four. Just try not to hurt them. But, you know, I think either of those would be high up on my list. If you want to add rituximab, probably after they've had some cytoreduction so you don't get rituximab infusion reactions with the high white count CLL. So after the first cycle, if they decide to reduce the bendamustine, you might add rituximab then. But I certainly wouldn't do anything more than that. What would you be thinking? Well, I was sort of thinking along the same lines. I arbitrarily made the decision that if he falls below 70 to consider treatment in him. Given his desire to preserve a seemingly normal life and his fears regarding chemotherapy, I think chlorambucil is an excellent place to start. If he was more interested in being aggressive, I would likely go forward with those reduced bendamustine followed by the addition of rituximab. Mitch, any thoughts about the non-chemo regimen that we have some data on, maybe you can talk about, of lenalidomide rituximab? So clearly lenalidomide has activity in this disease. You have to be careful with it because there are some flares. There were some real problems with tumor lysis. And the combination of lenalidomide and rituximab does seem to be even more active. And again, that's one of the reasons to go back to the mantle cell, that that combination has promise. I'm not sure that it's more or less toxic in this age group than chlorambucil. So it's not chemotherapy, but, you know, it has, uh, there's rashes, there's some neuropathy, there's counts, there's the tumor lysis. Got to so get an IV, too. Not for lenal. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, len rituximab. Yeah, well, for the rituximab, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you have to start low and build it up. So I'm not sure that that would be my first treatment of choice, but it's certainly a reasonable treatment to think about. Anything else going on in terms of research and CLL you want to comment on? And maybe if you, know, you can kind of keep him temporized for a couple of years, what might be coming down the pike? Yeah, I think there's a lot in this disease that's fairly exciting. And we'll talk about it in some of the other indolent B cells as well. But 
you know, the B-cell signaling pathway has turned out to be quite necessary to B-cells surviving, if not proliferating. And a number of drugs in this pathway, the BTK inhibitor, Brutin's tyrosine kinase, remember, Brutin's disease is hypogammaglobulinemia because you don't make B-cells. And if you can knock that out in these cells, there's significant response rates. Downstream from that, well, the SYK inhibitor, not clinically being developed at the moment, but has activity. Protein kinase C, PKC delta, the Cal 101 drug, very active. These are oral agents, fairly well tolerated. And I think, you know, they're clearly active in the relapse setting, and it won't be long before we're moving these up front in trials. And so, again, I like Lyle's idea of time and technology, that if you can avoid treating him for a little while, you may well have less toxic, effective agents. So I think those are out there. You know, there's new antibodies, ofatumumabs approved, but other ones as well in the works. So I think there's a lot going on. The lenalidomide, clearly, how best to use that is coming up. Is it induction? Is it maintenance? The intergroup CLL trial, currently FCR versus FR, has a lenalidomide maintenance arm. So we will get some information about that. So again, induction, maintenance, all these new drugs, many of them oral. I think it's an exciting time to be thinking about CLL. How are you using ofatumumab, if at all, in your practice right now? I actually haven't yet had the opportunity to use ofatumumab. It's indicated for relapse disease after fludarabine and alemtuzumab, neither of which I'm a huge proponent of in the frontline treatment of CLL. My standard regimen for patients with CLL who I'm going to give more aggressive cytotoxic treatment to involves rituximab and bendamustine. And that, in many patients, is associated with a prolonged treatment-free interval. So since it's been released, I have not yet had the opportunity to use ofatumumab. How about you, Mitch? Have you used it? In what situations would you use it? Yeah, well, I think it's fairly pricey, and so you really are almost obligated to keep it on label use, and that is fludarabine, alemtuzumab refractory. And as we heard, alemtuzumab is not a drug that a lot of us use that much of. So again, the ofatumumab use isn't perhaps as much as people had thought it would be. And so I've used it on a couple of occasions, but not very often. How do you approach upfront therapy in a patient you're going to treat with Ciela who's younger? So in the younger patient, I still think fludarabine-based regimens have a role until we get trials about FCR versus BR. And the intergroup trial is FCR versus FR, or FR followed by lenalidomide, and I think that's still a viable option. I'm not a great fan of FCR. I think the long-term toxicities are significant in terms of blood count suppression. So I generally use a lot of fludarabine rituximab in the younger patients, thinking I'm going to go to rituximab bendamustine later. But again, I think those trials are being done in Europe, and we should know fairly shortly whether maybe bendamustine rituximab is as good as FR or FCR. What about the patient with adverse risk factors, cytogenetic, 17P deletion? So 17P is clearly, you know, the bugaboo. Fortunately, it's not very common up front. It's one that we pick up more in the relapse setting. The NCCN guidelines talk about alemtuzumab in that setting because nothing else really works very well. If a young, healthy patient with 17P, you're thinking allogeneic transplant because really their lifespan is fairly short. So it's a really difficult problem. The other one that comes up is the 11Q, which is not quite as bad. And retrospective analyses of several large trials suggest that that's a group where FCR is better than FR. 
And so in the intergroup trial, if you have 11Q, you don't get randomized to the FR arm. You definitely get FCR. So 11Q, I would say, as of now, probably FCR. 17P, I would probably try to get alemtuzumab in some place, and if they're young and healthy enough, try to get them to an allogeneic transplant. The other thing I just wanted to make a comment about is, you know, the role of CT scan in CLL is quite controversial. So there are proponents of it and people who think it's not very useful. So I think it's an area that we have to think twice about, especially in a patient that, you know, you may or may not be treating. How often do you scan people? There is no right answer, but it's just something we should be thinking about. You know, what are we going to do with the information? How often do we want to do it?